You're listening to the Redemption Church Podcast. We hope that you're encouraged by today's message. If you have a Bible, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. It's a framework. It's something I want you to see. Tonight's going to be a little different. So uh, it's Vision Sunday. It's where I get to talk about the dream that God has given us as leadership to talk about, like, what is our church? What does it look like? You know, if you think about vision, vision is a brighter outcome, a better future than the status quo, and something God has given us to guide us. Um, He places vision and purpose in our hearts as human beings and guides us through his word to do great things. And it's important that we go to God's word and we hear what he has to say for our lives because he says when we apply God's word to our lives, uh, we're blessed. And so this is... um, This is amazing that he allows his people to be used by him in such a way to make an impact, not only here in this earth, but for all eternity. And so the best vision for our lives, I believe, is not just one Sunday, but it's every Sunday as we jump into God's word. Amen? And we hear a little bit. This is the great thing about God. He gives us vision, and it's so great, it's so grand, but he breaks things down to us. Like, you don't even need to know the entire Bible to be a Christian. You know Jesus, and he walks with you. He says, be led by the Spirit. You learn things, you grow things, and you understand and you apply and you respond, and it's relationship. And when I think about vision and purpose, uh, man, you have to include God's Word and submit to His Word and make a a commitment that there is going to be a brighter future, a way that there is hope in the Lord. There is hope in God. And He actually wants to give you hope. And He wants us to have a living hope Because he shows us that there is not only death, but there is resurrection. And we walk with him in this thing. Now, when I think about vision in the Bible, a common verse is Proverbs chapter 29, verse 18. Uh, We're not going to stay here, but I just want you to sort of think about this concept because we're doing something different than an expository message tonight. Tonight's going to be just a lot of sharing story, me just sharing the history, some things about our mission, our vision, our values. But when I think about vision... Uh, the Bible says where there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint. They just do their own thing. Like in the book of Judges, the end of Judges, they just, they just did whatever their heart said. But when, when there is no prophetic vision, but blessed is he who keeps the law. This nugget of wisdom tells us that without vision, people just do whatever, and they become out of alignment, out of alignment with God, and even sometimes out of alignment with one another. But we're actually blessed when we align our lives in submission to God's word and does what he says. You see, because you can dream and give God your life. You can die to yourself and submit to a king of kings and lord of lords, and he will give you direction. I know a lot of us are afraid of that. We don't want to dream because we've been so disappointed. We don't want to have vision or think about the future because our past has hurt us so much. But God operates with a kingdom vision for his people that he wants us to follow right here, right now. And this vision, this prophetic vision, right, prophetic being of the Lord, is so much different than the American vision or the American dream. It's not having two children with a white picket fence and a dog and a perfect job. No, it's a kingdom vision that outlasts a society or a nation or even a time frame. It's an eternal vision, the kingdom of God that he wants you to surrender your life to. And he says when you actually lose your life to this vision of his word and his kingdom and his lordship, you actually gain your life. It's an, it's an abundant life. But when there's no prophetic vision, you actually become lord of your life. But you'll be blessed if you submit to him. And so we are always asking as a church, Lord, what is your vision? What is your heart for our lives for this church? We have to ask God for vision. You have to ask God. You have to actually want to know what he says before you even obey. You have to listen. And you have to have the posture of humility and wanting God's grace, His purposes for your life, wisdom for your life. This is why it's so important that we are in a season every year of praying and fasting. James 1.5 says, if you need discernment or wisdom, ask God for it and He'll give liberally. Our strategy has always been listen to God and obey. That is the best strategy we have as a church. And so how are we posturing ourselves to listen, to ask, to be humble, uh, beginning our year with 21 days of prayer and fasting and not just doing an intensity, intensified way in one, one, one little season of prayer, but throughout the year. 
As the kids go back to school, we pray and fast. We have monthly prayer meetings. We take time to really take things seriously because we, we, we believe this is a part of the vision of, of the church is to be a house of prayer, is to ask God, what's the vision, Lord? What, where, how are you guiding? What is happening? And you see, because as a pastor, I'm called to shepherd the flock that's among me, 1 Peter 5, 2, or equip the saints among me, uh, Ephesians chapter 4, 11, my role as the lead pastor here is really to articulate and share the things that I feel like God is guiding us in as a community. When I ask for God for vision, I don't just ask God for my life or my family. I ask it for our family, our church family, and your lives as well. God, what would you like us to do together? What does that look like for us? Why do we do the things that we do? How would you like to guide us? What can we do something that's together that we couldn't do alone? Because the Bible says we're better together. We're a body, and we have different gifts and talents and abilities. And so we have to ask God. And I take time regularly to ask God, to seek God. And I hope that you know that if you call Redemption Church home, God wants to use you. God wants to give you dreams and vision and purpose for your life. And he wants to use your faith in the here and now. Rob and I were just talking about this yesterday at dinner. It's like, man, we have this opportunity right now to live by faith and not by sight. We don't want to squander that. And not just us. As your leaders, we want, we want you to trust God, to walk by faith and not by sight, to be blessed, to understand God wants to use you. I know that sometimes it doesn't seem like we're that strong. Got sometimes more empty seats than filled seats. But sometimes that's just a distraction. I'm not talking about all of them. I'm talking about you. I'm talking about your life. The almighty God creator knows you. He counts every hair on your head. He's given you gifts. He loves you. And I'm shepherding the flock that's among me. That, that we do this thing together. And so it doesn't, it's not, it's actually funny in the Bible, God would actually take numbers away so he can get more glory. Like with Gideon and 300 guys. There's thousands and they kept on just breaking about, that's too many, that's too many, that's too many. Sometimes I feel like with the Redemption Church, we grow and the God's like, no, nope, that's too many, send them out. Go start another church to do something. That's too many. Because he wants to actually use individuals. He wants to use you and to be a part of this plan. And he wants to use us together. Your life matters. I love what Psalm 133, it says that blessed are we when... Um, when brothers dwell in unity, that the Lord there commands a blessing. See, because if, when I say he wants to use you, he wants to use you in the context of community. God gives vision for a local church and local body to do things together, right? You tithe and you give offerings, but it's also all of us tithing and giving offerings. And it's a collective effort. You serve with your gifts and ability, but it's also placing and putting in the feet or in a fit within the body and doing it together that makes such a great impact. And this is why God places groups of people contextually in local churches to do things together. And I know it sounds weird because we're so anti-community, we're so uh, on our own, but the Lord actually places us into a family, His family, that we would actually be known and love one another and serve one another together. I love what Psalm 112, 1 says. It says, Praise the Lord. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commands. Have you experienced that? This prophetic vision, God's word, transforming your own personal life and you sharing that and making disciples and seeing that transformation in others. It's the most glorious life you can ask for. And so I, as your pastor, I just want to remind you tonight of things that hopefully you already know or you already feel. Because I feel like that's my role as a pastor. It's not only to preach the word, but to, to teach and give an example of truth, to communicate vision, our vision of us coming together. Because as we come together under God's word, he guides us together as a lamp unto our feet and a, a light unto our path. I love what Habakkuk 2.2 says. It says, The Lord answered me, Write the vision, make it plain on tablets, so he may run who reads it. I think that's the leader's job, is to make sure that the vision is communicated to the people of God and make it clear. Because leaders aren't to do all things. 
don't know if you know that. I know that was the only person there on the, on the worship team tonight. But thank God some of y'all were clapping tonight. You know what I'm saying? It felt a little bit better, didn't it? Like, okay, we're doing this thing together. First song, you were struggling a little bit. It's okay, I don't judge you, all right? But you came through on that second song. We're to do it together. Sometimes you can think, oh, it's just the person on the stage or this or that. And actually, it's my role to equip you to write vision down, to give guidance, to lead, and then for the Holy Spirit to come alongside you and empower you to do that work. And so whatever role you play, you fit into this. Now, the verse that I want to look at as before I look into our mission, vision, values, and just sort of recap what our church is all about and how that sort of plays out in our church, is from the Apostle Paul in chapter 9 of 1 Corinthians, verses 24 through 27. Um, and I want us to sort of get the heart of Paul before we talk about what we do. Right, Because our faith has works and we do things based off of our faith. Paul is one of those guys that this is a church planner, a missionary, a pastor, changed his entire life and reoriented his entire life to the Lord and really made great impact. In fact, in about 12 days, uh, I had the privilege that you guys are all sending me to a Footsteps of Paul tour trip uh, where I'll be visiting Philippi, Thessalonica, Berea, Corinth, Athens, and Ephesus with a group of about 40 pastors to just study how this man was so enthralled by the love of God that it compelled him to go preach the gospel to the nations. So I'll be flying over to Greece and to Turkey and seeing actually where he preached and called the elders from Ephesus or um, visited people in, on Mars Hill and, and preached the gospel and doing a deep dive study for a week in that. And it's so cool, it's so amazing to know that these aren't just stories, these are real life people. You ever think about the Bible, they're real life people. Paul's like, I can't believe it. I was a murderer. I was the chief sinner. I don't think that that was like hyperbole. That wasn't like something he was just trying to go off. And he really did do that stuff. He really did kill people and was opposing the church. And God changed his life so much. And he says, listen, if God can give me mercy, he can surely give you mercy. He's, he's an example of this. And this is the attitude after he found the grace of God, after he was saved, after he received this grace and this revelation that God is so real. He has this attitude of ministry that I, that I want us to have as we talk through what our mission and our vision and our values are and what we're doing even together. He says in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Do you not know that in a race all runners run, but only one receives the prize? So, Run that you may obtain it, that you can win, that you can go after it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things, and they do it to receive a perishable wreath, something that is going to be temporary. But we, well, we do it for an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body keeping it under control, lest, offer, uh, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. And let me just do a little text work to give us context about this attitude the Apostle Paul took, on, took to the mission of God uh, seriously in his life. This is what he's explaining to people as he's proclaiming the gospel and discipling and correcting this church. He ran in such a way to win the prize and he understood that his life and ministry mattered. And I want us to understand this as well. That this isn't just a game. It's not just about attendance and getting a church to come bigger or smaller or a budget. No, this is things of heaven and eternal. And this is actually a serious thing. That God has called us together as a church to run a race and to accomplish certain things that only we are to accomplish. Acts says we are a lot at a time in such a time as this. We know from Esther, like these, this actually matters. And he says... You know, runners and rate like they run a race, they're running to win. They're not just disqualifying themselves and going off. They're actually aligned. They're not aimless. They're intentional. And I find so many people, they don't have any impact in their life because they're just not intentional. Not a workspace thing, but actually planning, according, praying, and then receiving revelation saying, I'm going after that and I want this to be my life and worship. It matters and I'm going for it. God has placed a race, a task, an assignment, a mission before us as a church, and we're to take it seriously. I know I do. I want to run a race 
to obtain the prize, which means it will actually take work. It'll actually take work. It, it will take like an athlete who has self-discipline. But we aren't running for a perishable prize, right? For just some earthly reward. The Bible says, and he says, it's an imperishable prize. So the Bible says, treasure stored up in heaven. Athletes, they have a crazy discipline, intentionality, and self-control. I don't know if you've read anything. You may or may not like him, but LeBron James... I just recently read he, re, he spends about $1.5 million on his body every year. That's how intentional he spends on his body to obtain championships and to play basketball. And he's trying to be the GOAT. It's arguably not going to happen, but I'm just saying he's trying, okay? However, how much more should we I want you to think about the championships and the rings and even the status and the money. Athletes do all this different stuff for that. But have you thought about the day that you're going to meet Jesus? And, and how we're going to go into the saints and they're going to welcome us into heaven? And God has given us parables and stories about how we're to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. And we can store up things that, that, that moth will, will actually destroy Moth and rust will destroy here on earth, but the things that we do for the Lord, they will last for eternity. It's so much more, more important than a Michael Jordan or LeBron James debate about who's the best, or a championship, or ring, or a status, or money. When we actually think about all of our time and attention, are we so carnal to think that the things that we're doing are that important? Now listen, not to be judgmental or anything, but are you wise with your time? Have you considered what actually matters to your life? What is going to last for eternity? How you're going to give an account for your words? How God has given you certain time, talent, and treasures? Because Paul's like, I'm not doing this aimlessly. He literally gives an illustration and says, I'm not going to do this as if I'm beating the air. Could you imagine just beating the air, doing your thing, ignoring the will of God and just going after it. And yet I find so many Christians sometimes, they do that. As if they don't think the Holy Spirit lives inside of them, has a purpose for them. And so they just sort of live their life aimlessly and then by the end of it, they just look back. Sort of like in 2023, we look back and say, wow, I could adjust some things. But time slips away so easy. And even visiting people in the hospital, praying for them, they get serious and they think about their life and they reflect. And I just want to remind you, there's a fight to be fought. Paul said, I finish my race. I, I fight the good fight of faith. And First John warns us and tells us, beloved, do not love the world or the things of the world. We see even as a believer, as a Christian, Demas, he abandoned Paul in 2 Timothy 4.10 because it says he had a love with this present world. We're to keep our minds on the heavenly, set our hope on these things. This is the attitude, this is the way that Paul would say, be filled with the Spirit, continue to go, think about these things. And we need reminders in the church and messages like this and, and people's faith to remind us how serious it is. Everything sometimes seems to go well when everything is going well according to your plan. And then all of a sudden, everything gets messed up because life is life. And you get shocked. I'm always shocked, especially when people go to the hospital or if you've ever been to the hospital, it's like the world keeps on going, but not your life. And you start realizing, prioritizing and thinking, and I think even in this week, this sort of weird work week or whatever we just had with Christmas and New Year's, and I don't know, it's just sort of like, do I work a lot? Do I not? Is my reflecting? Is this a holiday? Is this, hey, five days of snacks, let's do it, you know? Um, it's like, I don't know, it's just like, well, we'll just get back on the New Year. I think sometimes we can live our life like that. Like we're just, we're in between. We're saved, but we're going to be in heaven. And so it's like, oh, should I have snacks? Should I be And ultimately there's no production. There's no intentionality. There's no great fruit from that. So Paul says, I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disciplined. I want you to notice one last thing about his attitude when it comes to the mission. His purity mattered. 
his purity, his holiness. He, he didn't want to get disqualified. I can imagine him thinking about Jesus' word in Mark 8.36 where Jesus said, Now what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? So we're told to be on mission. And we're told to live for the Lord. But it's just so hard. And this is why we need the church. Because we need brothers and sisters to remind us of our faith. We need encouragement. We need people spurring another on. It says, do not neglect the fellowship of the brethren. So that way, what? You can spur one another on to do good works. Beloved, we do not labor in vain. Do not give up. You will reap a harvest if you keep on going. There are verses like this. And when we have each other to be able to say, hey, we're all going to aim towards this and hold each other accountable, we actually grow. Because I still believe, year 11, next week, God has called us to be a church. Now, listen, I may get discouraged a little bit because there's not as many people as I want, but numbers don't validate a church. The blood of Jesus validates a church and saves people and grows people and sanctifies people. And he has called us together, and we've been doing this thing for 10 years, and with the God's faithfulness for the last 10 years of looking of how he's worked, it should make us more encouraged, more hope-filled, and more full of just joy thinking about the future because he's not going to disappoint He's not going to let us down. We could bank on it. We've seen the fruit. Uh, I think this is a huge year for me because for our 10-year anniversary, when we celebrated, we had these videos. If you remember, a lot of you made them, and um, we asked people just during our journey to make these videos. Um, and the, the thing that stood out to me from those videos is uh, they just were known. I heard a lot of they love people well, and I heard a lot they're all about Jesus. And I just thought after 10 years, we won. I said, thank you. I, I don't know. What, I mean, sure, you, maybe you want a mega church or you want this ministry or, or this or whatever. But ultimately, if we're known about Jesus and loving people, I don't know what else people would want. Those are the goals. And it just val validated like, listen, God has called us. We are here. Let's run this thing back. We have faith. We have experience. We have fruit under our belt. Yeah, it's year 11. Let's act like this is year one. Let's keep on having a passion. Let's have a zeal. Let's take this thing seriously. So we're asking the questions, what does it look like to plant a church now in 2024? How, how do we gather people to pursue and proclaim Jesus in this year? We're asking questions with all of God's faithfulness in our corner for the last 10 years. What can we do now to trust him even more? Because I'm, I'm still expecting him to work in and through us and through Redemption Church. And so let me share the mission, vision, and values. And this is more like a business uh, uh, thing that people have taken. But I actually think it's a, a biblical thing that, peop, that business gurus have just gypped off from the Bible. That makes sense. I'm just going to just throw that out there right now. So you're like, why are you talking about philosophy and vision and mission? Because you're going to see it's very biblical and it's actually something not very new. Because God has the greatest vision and mission for your life. And he tells you over and over again to submit to it. Now, when it comes to mission, vision, and values, I recently read this book on ministry, and it defines it this way, talking about the church. When it talks about mission, it says what the church exists to do. So when I say our mission, why do we exist? It is what she should be doing week in and week out to fulfill her purpose. Vision, when you think about that word, it's who the church is becoming. It's the hope for her future, how the hope informs what she does. And then philosophy are even values. It's how the church does her work. It's her, it's her feel, it's her culture, her values, her rhythms. And it's what she feels like and behaves like. It's her DNA. And so simply when I think about these things, I think mission is, is the why. Why do we even exist as a church? Vision is the desired future, right? It's the what. What's the goal of the church? And values is like a philosophy of ministry in the how. How are we going to get this thing done? And I think it's important for us to be aligned because if we aren't aligned in this, these areas that make us unique, we're going to go all off path. And we've gotten direction from the Lord on what these things are. So we want to tell you that you may or may not know this, but our mission as a church is to pursue and to proclaim Jesus. 
Our church is all about Jesus. That's what we want our lives to be about. That's what we want this church to be about. He's the one that's to be exalted, to be pursued, to be praised, to be living for. And the order actually matters. We, we pursue Jesus. It's important. And then out of the abundance of our overflow of response, we proclaim God. We make disciples. We tell people about him. We, it's an over, ministry is an overflow of our hearts, we say. And we need to continually remind people, hey, we're here to make disciples. It's about the Lord. What does God say about that? Let's take this in prayer to Jesus. What does the word say? You know, I mean, you can get discouraged with the sound system crackling, or you can be like, thank God that God hears my crackling voice and he's still pleased. <laughs> you got to have some perspective and a leader just being like, hey, it's all about, it's all about, it's all about. It's, we've been saying it for years and years and years, and it will always be about Jesus. You see, this church isn't about meeting all of our needs. And many people think, well, I want to have this church and these options, this and that. That's great, but God is supposed to meet your needs. And if we point you to him, he'll satisfy. No church and no people group will satisfy, but Jesus will. It's about discipling you to him, pointing you to him, challenging you, reminding you to pick up your cross daily to live this abundant life, trusting Jesus, following him, being transformed into his image. And the church community is about him pursuing and proclaiming Jesus. You hear about that. We have t-shirts. It's awesome. Okay. Here's some other things that you don't see or don't hear very often, but it's in our goal. So if we're getting together and it's all about Jesus, what's the goal of our church? Where are we going and what's the purpose, our future outcome? Our vision is our desired outcome, our goal of our church is saturation. Our vision is to make disciples that saturate our world with the love of Jesus. We even have a t-shirt that you can pick up for free in the back connection table if you want. Black with some hot pink. A lot of people say it says Saturday. It actually says saturate. We moved, we moved to a Saturday night service and actually had those shirts. And people are like, oh, Saturday night service, huh? I'm like, nah, bro, that's, that's, that's wrong. It's about saturating our world, making disciples that saturate our world with the love of Jesus. If you've been around us long enough, you know that sometimes you see people here and then they leave. We are a sending church. We actually equip and send people out and want them to fulfill their mission. And part of that is not just staying, but sending. And it's okay because we want to saturate our world with the love of Jesus. And the idea is multiplication, not just adding to Redemption Church, but disciples in our world, disciples that make disciples, a church that plants churches. This is key because we have to do this in love. You see, Saturate our world with the love of Jesus is intentional. And so far, you should start to see that our mission, our vision, well, it's actually just Bible. It's just another way that hopefully every church is trying to do the Great Commission, the Great Commandment. We see these teachings from Jesus at the end of his life and resurrection. He sends and commissions his disciples to make disciples. And I find that a lot of Christians don't accept this as their mission. What does it look like for you to just make disciples? Like, do you have accountability? Do you have people pushing you on, praying for you for that? And maybe it starts with evangelism, or maybe it's another sister or brother in Christ, and you're building them up in the faith, but what does the Great Commission look like for you? Because God has called his disciples to make disciples. So we want to equip you to do that. It's this Great Commission, Matthew chapter 28, but it's also the Great Commandment. Matthew chapter 22, that we're to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, and mind, and strength, and to love our, our neighbors, ourselves. Because I've learned that it's not just what you do, but it's how you do it. And it's not just accomplishing a mission, it's doing it in a loving way. We're not trying to be original as a church. We're trying to be biblical and obey our Lord. And we want a church and God's people to do the things that he's told us to do. And so what really makes a local church is not necessarily sometimes the mission and the vision, because scripturally we have that, but it's in how do you go about that? This is, this is the part where I get a geek out. Because this is personality. This is gifting. This is leadership. This is heart. It's, it's, what, it's what people call a philosophy of ministry. This is the fill of a church, the strategy, the intentionality. How do they get things done? What do they value? What does that look like? Some churches have a culture of evangelism and outreach, while other churches focus on classes and midweek studies. 
Some focus more on a local outreach, while others focus on a global outreach. And here's the thing. That's a good thing. Because we all need all types of churches to reach all types of people. And so when God gives certain leadership and certain people, certain giftings, it's going to actually look and different. And this is why you can go to this church and that church, and they totally look different or have a different feel based off their leadership, based off the people, based off the size, all those different things. And that's okay. I have an example because um, God places different leaders in the church and will shape that ministry and how uh, they do it through its focus. One of the reasons why we're, I think, so passionate about sending and planting churches is because a lot of people, a lot of people know my story about our family, my wife and I moving from Seattle or to uh, Olympia, um, Washington, to plant the church in Delray. And God audibly said Delray Beach. It was, a, it was called a parachute plant. We didn't know anyone here. But God told us to come and start this church in the city. And I audibly heard God's voice, and I knew it was Him calling us and giving us visions and verses and all this different stuff. Um, but, be- but before God said Delray Beach, Florida, He told me to plant a church and plant churches. And that's always been the goal and the mission. And because He audibly said that, we have a high concentration of church planning, of missions, of doing these things, because He's directed me as a leader to do this with my life and to lead people in this way. This is why we have uh, church planning residencies and, and send people out and have ministries to encourage and equip church leaders and raise people up. It's because who actually matters to the Lord? This isn't just an organization like a business class. He actually places people in the church with certain gifts, talents, time, treasures, and it actually, in his wisdom, gifts people to do certain things he wants to accomplish. One of the best lines I love about being here at Delray Beach, uh, you know, I get to ask people, especially strangers, oh, what brought you here? Oh, recovery? Okay, great. Or, oh, the sunshine? Awesome. Okay. And they, you know, eventually they, they ask me, you know, like, you know, what brought you here? And I just look at them like, God. God brought me here. Probably just to tell you he loves you once again. Right? It's just, it's just fun to know that you have a purpose, that you have a calling, and that God literally places people even us in this city, for a reason. It's incredible. And so, you know, we used to have a a big, huge six-by-nine banner of our values at Orchard View. Some of you guys uh, were there a few years ago before COVID. We used to have this, we as a church value this, uh, because we need reminders as well, not just what we're doing, but how we're doing it. And uh, I'll just read this off to you, and I'll just get in a little bit of details, briefly explain what they mean. Uh, Our values as a church are believing the gospel, being kingdom-minded, speaking words of life, investing in relationships, and developing servant leaders. These are the things that we want to to focus on, to value, to have our way in accomplishing things. Let me briefly explain what this means and how uh, it's guided us in a framework over the last few years. Believing the gospel Believing the gospel. We want to believe the gospel of Jesus Christ and all its implications. We want to make decisions based off the gospel being true in our lives. That God has the power to save. And so we preach the gospel. And it's through the good news of Jesus that we're saved, transformed, renewed, and have hope. We want to believe it. So as a leader, I want to always base my decisions with the gospel in mind and with the word of God to have faith. Uh, The Bible says it's impossible to please God without faith. And so as a framework and as a decision, as a leader, I am always going to make a decision that requires me to believe the gospel, to have some faith. Because even if in the world it's a failure, if I'm trusting God and believing he's telling me to do it, I'm going to go after that because it's worship. So we lead in, in a way where we're trying to exercise faith and trust God. God, you said you love me, then I'm going to live it out. That's our strategy. We're going to listen to you. We're going to obey. We're going to take steps of faith. And we just have a high value in taking ventures of faith. You may know this. You may say, well, why don't we do that anymore? Well, because it failed horribly. But we tried. And we're going to try again. We're going to try to do this, 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 and this. Because, you know, what's the big deal? We're trying to, to please God. He's directing us. We're going to go for it. And if it fails flat in our face, we won. Because we believe it's faith and believe in trusting God in those things. 
So we believe the gospel and the implications of the gospel. And part of that is being kingdom-minded. And this is, I think, a very hard thing for a lot of people within the church, but also something that people love about Redemption Church, how we're more focused on the kingdom of God than on our church logo. And what necessarily we're trying to build here, we're trying to just build people, and the people that God brings to us love them well, rather than trying to commit to them, manipulate them, own them, have them be a part of a member and do all this different stuff. No, it's about the kingdom of God, not just Redemption Church. An example of this, you're going to see 21-day fasting. Uh, this is something that we've been doing for years. For the last 10 years, I've been meeting with a handful of pastors, praying with them, and, and, getting, and having one another's back. Uh, I love the 21-day fast. It's, it's a group of Pentecostals, of Reformed people, of Lutherans, of non-denominational churches. There's a bilingual church involved, um, and I love it. Because it's not based off of our tribe or theology. It's based off, man, we're believers and God says do this. Let's do it. It's about God's kingdom. We're very kingdom-minded. In fact, this morning I was able to preach at a local church, the Avenue Church, in Delray Beach, just a few miles away. Because we're co-laborers and we're not competing. And so it's funny because we're in a cohort. We are part of this guy, the Exchange Church, who planted a church. Um, Casey went to go preach at his church this morning, and I went to go preach at Casey's church to help him out. Two weeks ago, our good friend Rodney Wilkinson, his mom had a heart attack. And so he drove to go to the hospital, sent me a picture of a ventilator of his mom, and, and was just like, bro, I have a crazy question. Can you go to the church in a half an hour and preach? said, no problem. I'm there. It's so incredible when you give your life to the leading of the Lord and how the Holy Spirit directs. It's not always going to benefit sometimes you or your family or even the church. I think sometimes this is one of the reasons why God has actually closed the door for us on Sunday mornings right now. Because on Sunday nights, uh, Laura and I, other people are being used so much on Sunday mornings. I mean, we had a church plant and Robin and I's daughter was able to help uh, childcare for over a year to establish that ministry while we were on Sunday nights. Who does that? We do, because we're kingdom-minded. Because it's not just about us, it's about what God wants. And when he gives directives to bless his people, we're going to do that. So some of those directives may not actually benefit us directly, but they benefit us very directly. That makes sense. Because it's about obeying Jesus. And he's the king, and this is his kingdom, and whatever he wants goes. And so we're not just about us, we're about other people. And the other value we, we have is speaking words of life. You guys know this because I speak long Bible studies on Sunday nights. I love teaching the Bible. I just love it. We try to teach the Bible simply. Uh, we simply try to teach the Bible simply. Uh, expository message. This right here is so weird for me to just to talk through things and have some points and whatever. Like I love teaching the Bible, giving you truth and speaking words of life. And not only uh, through the word, but we also have a culture and want a culture of speaking encouraging words that are prophetic, that are truthful, what everything is lovely, pure, commendable. Think on these things and the peace of God will be with you. Uh, we understand that God's word is our final authority and we want to be Bible people, encouraging people, being, giving uh, encouraging words and just blessing people in that. Um, this year, you know, I, I did sort of reviewing, I think, I forget now, and I'm going to get caught up, but I think it's like 22 or 24. It's an even number of 20, low 20s. That's how many books of the Bible we've gone through in the last 10 years. Uh, some of you guys have asked. Uh, we're going to start Galatians in February. Uh, that will take us to about end of May. Uh, and then at, in, in the beginning of May, we're going to start the book of Hosea. We'll do that over the summer, and then we're going to begin the Gospel of Mark beginning in the fall. Because we just love going through books of the Bible. It's just what we do. Because God gives life. His word won't return void. And so I love starting uh, my time together speaking with you guys of just being like, turn your Bibles to. <laughs> Sometimes people just go like, who does that? To go, to go through Exodus for a year and a half. But wasn't it just so good? Just to like open the Bible and to learn and to grow. This is such a high value to us to exposit scripture and to be encouraging and building one another up, prophetically speaking words of encouragement to one another. We don't want to just study God's word. We want to apply it in real life. And this means we're investing in relationships. We grow in God's word through community and have loving accountability. I think our church history and culture has always been really high relationally. 
primarily because we've been smaller. See, some people think that could be a negative thing, but it's actually a very great thing for loving accountability, for relationships, for having friction as iron sharpens iron. We're experiencing sparks a lot at our church because you can't hide. It's very easy to just be like, okay, that's everyone. That's it. And you know what? I know who's not here. So, hey, it's pretty easy, you know? But it actually is very helpful, and it's a good thing because we want to invest in relationships, not just investing in you at the service, but you investing in one another, loving one another, serving one another, caring for one another. We're always going to point you to try to love one another. The, the goal is for everyone to be in a community group uh, and to know and be known. Uh, we always can say people over programs. We're going to love people and see how they're gifted and equip them and give them chances to grow. And we just want people to be loved, to be served, and to be in relationship. If I can get people in relationship, man, that's going to help their walk with Jesus. That's what I, as, a, as your pastor, that's what I, I desire everyone to be in a community group, everyone to be known. I don't care if we had five people or 50 people. It's like, hey, don't just come to service and be gone. How can we pray for you? What's going on in your life? What can we do to serve you? What are your gifts? Do you want to serve in this way? That's just always going to be uh, because it's a value. Lastly, it's developing servant leaders. We want to raise up leaders and pour into people and have them grow in their gifts. Um, I often example and communicate this um, to give an illustration. We as a church don't value excellence. I know that sounds just terrible and weird. <laughs> now, we try our best. But the reality is, if you're learning something, are you the best at that when you're starting to learn? No. And we're going to give chances to let people grow and develop and cultivate and walk with them. And so I could do things sometimes a lot better than a lot of people, but I ain't doing it because we value investing in leaders and multiplying and growing and giving them chances. And you know what? It's okay. Just like we try events and fail. Hey, man, didn't work out in that area. Let's just try something different. We're not, we're not valuing people off of their performance, but sometimes you have to actually discover, what are my gifts? How do I grow? Now, I didn't even know I like behind the scenes or doing children's or whatever it may be. And so we raise up church leaders, and this has primarily been a thing where we've been able to have a great impact. You know, we as a church have this ministry and this calling, not only to plant this church, but to, to encourage and equip church leaders. And we have this ministry called EE Leaders. I have a leadership podcast, a social media presence, and there are thousands of people that follow us in the recordings and all this different stuff to just be fed. A primary audience of like 24 to 34-year-old male leaders that want to know and grow in their leadership. And we've been able to grow and have cohorts and all this different stuff of just raising up leaders, not only within our church, but the influence over churches. It's been phenomenal. But it's because we truly do focus on that. We can't do everything, and so we have to focus on some things. And so these are our values. It builds the culture of what we have as a church. Now, let me wrap this up and just ask this. Why share this? Why share this vision? Because I thought vision was about the future. Well, because I want you to be a part of Redemption Church and what God is doing and has done. You see, I don't know the future. I'm still trying to look for a Sunday morning to tell you the truth. I'm still getting closed doors. That's okay. Remember, we're all about believing God, risking, trying, doing this, doing that, whatever. I don't really even know what's going to happen. We got an election year coming up. God help us. Oh, man. We got all this different stuff and turmoil and war. But here's what I do know. God has already spoken. So when those things come up, you know what's going to guide us? Our mission. Because we're not going to get into all this. That, you know we, why we exist and why we're here? To pursue and proclaim Jesus. You know, we're about our vision, our outcome. It's about becoming a disciple that saturates the love of God in the world. You know what I'm saying? Like, we're not going to worry about what we can't control, but the things that God has told us to do, we're going to try to do those things because it's worship unto us and it matters. And we're going to do it in such a way where we're going to do be risk takers and have faith and raise up leaders and say, hey, let's try this. Let's do this. Let's go out. I mean, let's just go crazy. Listen, we have the Spirit of God inside of us. Let's go look over Delray and just start praying in the open space and against demonic activity and start interceding for people. Why not? It is crazy. Will we do it again? I don't know, but we're going to do it this, January, or this Friday. And we're going to keep on to see what happens. 
it's okay because these are the things that God has called us to in the framework of how we're actually going to continue on because we're not going nowhere. We're only going to do things God's told us to do. And if God says go or stop, that's great. That's what we're going to do. And so we need to remain and be reminded this is worship unto the Lord. Because just like the Apostle Paul, he didn't want to just, he wanted to stay focused. He didn't just want to just do his own thing. He realized it matters. And I will tell you this because I've been here the longest. Laura was second member. I walked to the threshold two seconds later, boom, she was there. It was amazing. Okay? Um, it's worth it. You see people come in and out of the church and even come back again. You could bank on giving your life to Jesus and loving him. This mission of pursuing Jesus and proclaiming Jesus is not just a redemption church thing. It's a biblical thing. And you will be honored and blessed to give your life to the Lord. If you've ever led someone to the Lord, baptizing them or teaching them the ways of God or investing or just doing these things that as you go and, and, and literally read the word and obey it, there's nothing greater. But it has to be a response. It has to be something where it's not just task-oriented, it's a response because you know the living God. Because if you know Jesus, you know it's worth it. And you won't be worried about 2024 or 2025 or what's going to happen in 10 years. Like, I hope in 10 years we're all in heaven and the Lord comes back. That's what I hope. Let the church and the Spirit of God say, come, Lord Jesus. But you know what? If we're still here, then we're still going to be doing what he's told us to do. And guess what? If he tells us to do something else, we'll do it. Because that's what we do. We listen to our God and we obey. So rather than, hey, here's what we want to do and this is the budget and this is... We're just sticking close to Jesus. And I think that if we do this together, there will be great impact because as people have come in and out of these doors and they've latched onto this mission and believe that God could use them, God has used them. And we've seen salvations. We've seen growth. And hopefully as you even in your own life, has seen us faithfully just teaching the Word of God, having these values, pouring into you, you've seen growth as well. And so, that's it. I mean, I could say a lot more. I got stories upon stories and inspiration. But I think I just want us to, to land the plane on just making sure that we're responding. Uh, I'd like to take communion because I think it it matters why we do what we do. And I think too often we try to prove ourselves for like mission and vision and accomplishing things rather than just responding with worship. I love how Jesus implemented communion and said, do this as often as you gather to remember me. We're all equal at the cross. Jesus loves us. He cares for us. He believes in us. He wants to use us, but he doesn't... Well, I'll say it this way. He wants to remind you that you're the mission as well. He doesn't want to just trample your soul and just use you like the world uses you. The reason why he wants to use you is because we're made in the image of God and sin broke. Sin broke us. It broke our souls. We exchanged the truth for a lie and we got caught up in sin and we're lost and damned. And we're in a trajectory that was no good for our lives. And Jesus loved us so much to restore our soul and said, come to me, all who are weary, heavy, I will give you rest. And he forgives sin. And he gives us back into relationship with the Lord as we ask for forgiveness. And he gives us his spirit. And he wants us to have an abundant life. And there is no abundant life besides Jesus and the gospel and his grace. And so he says, when you gather together, just church, you're we're gathering together to worship God and, and to be equipped and to go out into the world. But don't just forget why you're doing it. It's about worship. It's about grace. It's about this good news. And so I think it's important for us to just take communion, to ask God to fill us afresh, to remember why we do the things we do. Because logos... Church websites, I mean, they mean nothing. It's about the Lord and his kingdom. And honestly, it's about who he brings to just love the people that we have. 
And so let's focus on him. Let's pray for him. And let's just take time to just enjoy him and to think about what he's done for us. So that way we have a posture of worship when it comes to the great things that he's going to call us to do. I absolutely believe that if you fast and pray with us this next month, start the new year, God will speak to you. He'll minister to you. He'll encourage you. Uh, he'll challenge you. He'll ask you to do things. As you abide in him, you will bear fruit because he promised that. That's what we want to do. So let's pray and let's, let's respond. Jesus, we thank you so much for just giving us some guidance, some parameters. Lord, not only your word, but specifically for this church and leadership. We do want to pursue and proclaim you, God. We do want to just saturate our world with disciples that love you, Lord. And we're the first people to tell you that we fall short of this. I wish we were perfect in developing leaders or believing the gospel all the time, but we're not. And you knew that, God. And you tell us that if we confess our sins, you're faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we celebrate that, Lord. We celebrate that we can come here together and just in a reflective week, thinking about the past and even about the decade of our church and our lives. And we can have hope for the future. Because when we trust in you, Lord, we are blessed. So we want to remember, Lord, what you've done, how you died for our sin. And we want to remember, Lord, that you rose three days later and you're coming again. These things matter. Our faith matters. We love you. And we want to please you. So help us to be faithfully going to you week after week, moment by moment, day after day. And even in this moment as we just respond and reflect about your goodness and what you've done. Help us to enjoy the moment, to be able to take communion together and just say, Lord, we need you. We praise you for shedding your blood, for dying on the cross for our sin, for rising again, for giving us a purpose and a plan, for cleansing us, for filling us with your spirit, for putting people in our lives that love us. You're so good. Help us to remember that. So we just honor you and praise you now, Lord. This is Pastor Daniel Williams at Redemption Church in Delray Beach. Thank you so much for listening to that message. We pray it was an encouragement. It was a blessing to you as we love to pursue and to proclaim Jesus together. And so no matter where you're listening, whether it be YouTube or our podcast, you can go to more resources at redemptiondb.com and even partner with us in ministry to pursue and to proclaim Jesus. God bless you. And thank you so much for listening.